Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. It's Lenny Murphy with another edition of the Green Book Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to spend it with me and my guest. And today, I am joined by Anna Conte from Clarks Canada, the uh, Associate Director of Human Insights. Anna, welcome. Thank you, Lenny. Yes, once again, my name's Anna Conte. I go by the pronouns she and her. I'm currently the Associate Director of Human Insights at Clocks Canada, and I, I work across several brands. People, when they think of Clorox, they automatically think of cleaning and bleach, but we have a number of great brands, Glad Waste, Burt's Bees, Brita Water Filtration, and some hidden gems like Hidden Valley Ranch and Pine Sol as well. Now, Burt's Bees, I didn't know that. The, yeah, see, the there's Clorox always some surprises in there. <laughs> there are. I mean, I'm a big fan of most of your products. You're like, yeah, I got some of that, got some of that. <laughs> uh, but Burt's Bees, that's, that's okay. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> the great brand. It, it is a great brand. has a lot of love, lots of love for that brand. Yeah, yeah, it's a great product. And where in uh, where are you in Canada? Our offices are in the greater Toronto area in a small little part called Brampton, but part of greater Toronto area. Okay. Toronto is a great city. We were chatting a little bit beforehand that uh, a few years back, I seemed to be spending a lot of time with the MRA and doing speaking at events in, uh, in Toronto specifically. And uh, I always... Very much enjoyed my time in Toronto. Yeah, it's very diverse. There's lots of arts, great restaurants. Just, yeah, it's a, it's a big hub. Yeah. Yeah. And I was introduced to poutine. Ah, um, yes, yes. Which <laughs> I, still, I, I've tried to make it myself at home and I just, I can't get the same quality of poutine as, uh, as I got in Toronto. Yeah, you have to venture to Quebec for some of the real authentic poutine there. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Duly noted then. Uh, that, I mean, that's worth a trip because, man, that's just good stuff. Anyway, so it's great to have you here. So uh, tell us about tell us about you, Anna. How did you <laughs> wind up at Clorox? And you know, give us your, your journey, your hero's journey, your research hero's journey. My research journey. Well, like a lot of people, I kind of sort of fell into this field. Uh, I didn't grow up saying, ooh, I can't wait to be a market researcher. You know, <laughs> I didn't even know the profession existed. But I was always curious about people, why they behave the way they did, the context and factors that shaped their choices. And I think it was that curiosity that drove me to pursue a degree in psychology. And then the university program that I went to was really research oriented. You know, I had courses on research methodology, sampling, statistical techniques. So I really developed that skill set. But then I came out and I was like, oh, great. That was interesting. Now what? And then I, I actually saw a local college program that built on those research skills. And it actually had a co-op field placement. And so I ended up working in market research and then I never looked back. And 
Now I've enjoyed the privilege of working in research for over 25 years. I've worked on the supplier and the client side. And on the supplier side, I've had the opportunity to work in quantitative as well as qualitative firms. So I was a moderator and that's exciting, completely different skill set and flex different kind of muscles. And what's nice about the supplier side, too, is that you get exposed to different categories. So you can work on financial, quick service, as well as CPG, which really broadens your understanding of the consumer and the joys and tensions in their lives. And then on the client side, I previously worked at Nestle and Kraft as well, where I influenced the strategic direction of some like long-standing love brands like Kit Kat and Haagen-Dazs cheese whiz and and yeah and then eventually all the roads led to clorox that's cool now it seems like when uh we have this conversation with folks in canada that there's three companies on the supplier side that always come up you've either worked for some variation of angus reed's companies or leger or ipsos with steve leading ipsos so any of those was it uh was it one of those so I did work at a company called Camelford Graham for a little time that was purchased by Ipsos. So you're right. All paths lead to one of those three organizations. It, it seems that way. Yes. So, <laughs> and all wonderful, wonderful organizations to uh, get your feet wet. I mean, you know, uh, Nielsen kind of globally is always kind of owned. It's a great training place. So you, you go to Ipsos, you get your feet wet, you get exposed to a lot or to Nielsen, uh, and then you go out and do other stuff. So yeah, and you leap off from there. Yeah, I worked at like some great supplier side to get those fundamentals, but then even client side, I worked at Kraft when it was one of those big organizations, and it had a large insights team with big, healthy budgets. So it was a great place to learn to the client side. Yeah. So so let's play off of that. So you've been twenty five years. I'm this is my twenty third year. So you got me beat. You think about your tenure and both client side and supplier side, what have you seen change in terms of the emphasis from a, a buyer perspective that we've maybe has, have we gone through less of an emphasis of methodology and more on impact or what does that look like for you? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. You know, it's kind of funny the way the world kind of goes. Like sometimes you, you, you go from one extreme to the other. It's and, you know, it's fashions that way. You know, we had the baggy bell bottom jeans, then the skinny jeans. Now we're back to the loose fitting jeans. Right. And I remember and and both on my client as well as the supplier side. So when I was moderating as well as when I was client side at Kraft and Nestle, you know, we were getting really personal with consumers and doing a lot of immersions and to really fuel those brand positioning research. And it was smaller sample size, really deep, you know, that touchy feely stuff. And now we're in this big data AI world. And it's a very different like plethora of data, which can feel like very not so emotional and very impersonal, right? And I think we're going to see, and I'm kind of excited about this, actually. I know a lot of people are scared about AI and even for the industry. I guess my perspective on AI is that I, I just see it as a tool. 
And it's very much in the hands of the person that's kind of using that tool in terms of its opportunities, limitations, strengths, weaknesses. But what I'm seeing is, you know, we're using it to really understand things at scale and and maybe even craft, you know, very personalized message for all sorts of different people, but we're trying to be everything to everyone, right? I think what we're going to see is it come back, right? And I think this is where the power of the researcher comes back. So that's, I'm not scared of AI because I don't think it's possible, like AI is not capable of being emotional. Like it it doesn't have empathy like we do. And so I think we're going to see this return where the power of the the researcher is going to come back and we're going to get really personal again. Because the problem with developing those AI crafted messages is especially to this younger audience who I think is very emotional savvy, is that they can be less authentic potentially. So I see it returning to a space where it's very emotional and very hands-on with the empathy of the researcher involved. And I saw the most powerful marketing campaigns being crafted when we looked at the intersection of kind of like the brand's values and the consumer's values. And I was always surprised as a moderator when doing that research, how they like lined up perfectly. And it makes sense because people are attracted to brands that are aligned to their values. They feel seen and heard. So I can see us getting back to that, to that really personal, touchy-feely, emotional type research. So that's that's fantastic. I, I, so much to unpack from that <laughs> and, and, and fundamentally agree. As technology impacts how we do things, Right. And that's fundamentally what it does. Uh, you know, it creates greater efficiencies of cost and, and speed and opens up more doors of ease of synthesis of information, et cetera, et cetera. But fundamentally, we have to be the keepers of the why. And that is the that component. And as well as, and as you said, yeah, AI doesn't create, AI combines, right? In new ways that may seem creative. It may seem really amazing how it combines things, but the intuition, creativity, empathy, you know, all of those things, it, that's not there. And so increasingly, I think that is what we will be as researchers tasked with owning and honing that to the idea of answering the business question to drive business impact. What, what do you think? Does that make sense to you? For sure. Yeah. I mean, AI definitely has its uses and and I think you very much like touched on them. It makes things faster, the more automated type pieces. I recently used it on a on a Brita study, actually. We were doing uh, uh, like a multicultural type research, and we were talking to consumers from several different ethnicities. And it was very flexible and adaptable tool in terms of being able to get to probe and speak to consumers in their native language and probe like projective techniques. So you can get qual type answers at a quant scale. So it was, it was very useful. And so it does have its usefulness as a tool. And then you still need to interpret all of the outputs and overlay that, you know, your, your thoughts and thinking and, and, the, and the strategic objectives of the business to use them in an actionable and compelling way. So I want to drill on this a little bit more because it's, this came up this week for me, this, a, a colleague had shared 
a conversation that they were having with a large marketing communications agency. And they said that they were getting pressure from a, a major CPG. I don't know if it, maybe it was you, I don't know. <laughs> but the were effectively, they were saying, look, we know that you're utilizing AI to do many of these tasks that used to take 10 hours. Now it takes you five. Why are you charging us for 10 hours when it's only taking you five? We expect to see a, a cost reduction in these functions as a result of the utilization of AI. Yeah, of course. So is that awareness now coming throughout the organization, particularly on, on you know the buyer side, to say, you know what, it, it did used to take us, this was the $30,000 project, maybe, you know, the, the, to use your example, and it would take two to three weeks, but tools now allow us to accomplish this at half the time and, and therefore half the effort. So therefore, you know, we should be able to still get to the same place, but it's, it's a $15,000 project in a week. Yeah, now. that's a great, right. great point, actually. So when I tendered out this project and received, you know, a number of proposals back, there was only one organization, uh, Inca Next Intelligence, who had pitched kind of their proprietary AI kind of tool. And it exactly permitted that. Like it was at a great cost, quick timing, and th that whole qual at quant scale, it actually not only gave me the quant, but it allowed me to validate some pre-existing qual work that I had and validate it with this multicultural consumer at like quant sample size. So it was exactly that. It was efficient both in dollars and time. That's right. Good, good shout out to our friends at Inca. And so as an industry, right, we're both industry veterans. We've been around. We, we, we've been there from paper to telephone to online, <laughs> you know. So in one, one point, like no surprise, right, we've always kind of thought we would get here. Didn't exactly know the technology to unlock it, but here we are, right? It's, it's here. Um, and it has these, this transformational impact and not just research, but everywhere. So every industry, because it creates efficiencies from a process standpoint and yeah, I would argue, I don't know that we're there yet where it's a game changer in terms of creating more, more value in terms of strategic insights that move the needle, but it sure as hell makes it easier to get there. Yes, it does. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, like you brought up other points. I mean, we've been right from phone to online. Like I remember when we went from phone to on online, it was like, oh, we can't do this. You know, sampling, <laughs> right. right? right. And, and, right. and, and it, it was a tool and, and this is a tool, right? But you have to be bold. Like uh, you have to try it because that's the way you learn its strengths, its weaknesses, you know, how to adapt it, its best uses. And so I, I don't know, I've always been more on the early adoption kind of of methods because I think that just it, better to learn early and then figure out how to best embrace it Yeah, for yeah. good, so, right? Yeah. For good, because then you can mold it in, in a positive way. Could not agree more. I've been harping to everybody. like, you can't afford to sit on the sidelines and wait for this. We need, this is the experimental phase. Yeah. Let's shape it. Let's shape it, right? Right, right. It's happening very fast, faster than we've seen any other technology from a disruption standpoint. We don't have the luxury, like the the online, the the migration to phone and, and to online. That took roughly five years. I don't think we have five years. I think we've 
the way things are going, we have like five months, you know. So, so yes, we have to we have to embrace it. Now, I would love to get your your take on this as well, which totally we didn't talk about this beforehand. So, as you think about this future impact, well, this current impact, and in this future state we're moving towards, right? What do you think that does to research as a function within the organization as we're democratizing, as these tools make information more easily accessible? And to many extents, kind of templatizes some pretty standard research approaches, right? The concept tests, things like that, that are you know pretty pretty standardized. Do you see insights growing in importance across the organization with different key stakeholder groups, or do you think that it becomes kind of commoditized, almost like search? Everybody can search, you know, and that it's just kind of taken for granted. What do you think? I think our role changes. And I think on the part of smart organizations, we're just as important. But what ends up happening is it's kind of like, you know, sometimes how they used to like want to drill down a whole bunch of metrics into one number because it was faster right. and better, right? Like, NPS. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. uh, what's the equity score? And let's have it all in one neat little number. But you still need, you still, like, it doesn't matter how many data points, and even if you have this one neat little tidy scorecard, you still need someone to kind of overlook it and provide meaning and interpret it and how to leverage it and how to use it. You're right. Democratic. I, I always have trouble with that word, D- democratization of data. <laughs> like everybody can pull it now. And I, you know, I even have, you know, my assistant brand managers pulling Google, you know, all sorts of data points. But the thing is, is we have the expertise on how to interpret it correctly. Make sure there's the right sample. Be objective. We, through our years of experience, know how to stand back from the data points, you know, and take away our biases, our emotional reactions, how to look at all the different data sets to provide the meaning, like the path forward. Because sometimes the brand teams and business teams can get lost in all those data points. And then they get they get mired in it and don't see the path to move forward. And so I right. think- Forest for the trees. Yeah, like right? we're the navigators. Yeah. So we help them connect the most meaningful dots and simplify it. Because, you know, you need to take those 200 pieces of data to like three that are really going to drive the business forward so that they can create the streams of work that are going to be meaningful to drive their business. I love that. The the Insight Navigator. I mean, maybe that becomes a new title, right? Because I think that, that speaks to the issue. We have lots of data, but what matters? What's meaningful? And that's the insight, right? The insight isn't the results. The results, tons of information. That's easy. There is no dearth of information and there hasn't been for a very long time. Yeah. And I think that's what makes for a good researcher too, by the way, like, or one of their skill sets, right? Is being able to see out of like all the tons of data, what are the like meaningful three or four pieces that whoever your stakeholder is really needs to drive kind of their overall objectives. So I've discovered over time that I am more of a a quality at heart than a quant guy, which is not what I expected (laughs) throughout the evolution. 
of my uh, my career. I mean, I rely more more on intuition. I rely more on, you know, okay, here's this data point and here's that data point. And what's missing is the connective tissue between those. So we that's what we better ask, right? Is to understand what is the connection between these disparate data points because it seems to point towards this potential outcome. And if that's the case, we need to understand, you know, how how to get there. And that's an intuitive process. It, it is not yeah. something I can look at. I mean, I can look at the numbers, right? Obviously, and I, you know, I, I don't. I'm definitely not a data jockey anymore, but I, I know my way around SPSS back in the day. But it is that that meaning behind it. Yeah, I love that. I mean, a good research is both objective, but then has strong gut instincts, right? Like because they have to be objective to be biased, but then there's so many data points that they have to have that gut kind of reaction on on what to deep dive into or or, or or look at further, right? And then they have to be tenacious, I think, as well. Yeah, and and curious yes. to understand that. Well, what's the why, right? Again, at, think if the title is Insights Navigator, the subtitle is Keeper of the Why. You know, let, let's understand what's really driving this. And that is, those are the things that I do not believe that AI will replace anytime soon. We need to understand non-conscious measurement, you know, emotional states, values, yada, yada, yada. All that's changing, continues to change so rapidly. I think that we are in a, a cultural transformational stage that's driven by so many factors uh, across the board. We can't, it, it's just this this cornucopia of, of pressure that is just transforming so many things. And we need to understand why, and we can't rely upon the old paradigms, the old contextual frameworks that we have used to can get, collect new information in new ways, faster, cheaper, you know, better. AI is going to power all of that, but we got to figure out what's really the, the right, the strategically important insight to help navigate the change. The power is in our hands, right? It's up to us to demonstrate our worth and value because it is important. Like we pay, I, I think we play a very key role. I agree. So this conversation I was in earlier today uh, before we record this of, you know, what do you think, what's the, um, if we look at like the SMR, you know, market sizing data, you know, is that going to increase or shrink? And like, well, I think it's going to increase, but it's going to change. The distribution is going to change significantly. Uh, where money is spent, right? There's not an AI category in that right now. Next, (laughs) there's going to be, right? Those tools, the technology tools, they're going to increasingly take share of budget overall. But I think that the the value of insights will continue to grow and become more accessible, not just across organizations like Clorox that have large budgets and you spend, you know, that, but also small businesses that have been priced out of conducting efficient research. And now we'll have the ability to do that in new ways. And I think all that's incredibly, incredibly exciting. Yeah, the world's going to be bumpy, right? It's going to be disruptive. But isn't that when the greatest innovation happens, right? In a way, right? You need the you need the disruption. You need the tension, right? It's it's kind of like do, when you do consumer research and innovation research. You look for the tension. Where are they? Where are the pain points? Where, and that's when you know the magic starts to happen because then that's when you get creative and you ideate. And, and it's no different for our field if you think about it, right? I mean, we're gonna have innovation. That is disruptive and then we're gonna figure out 
like the way it might be bumpy. And then, wow, we're going to come out with some really exciting capabilities and tools. Yeah, I love that. The That's fantastic. And I, I just realized... You know, before we started, we for our listeners, we, we always have kind of a brief that Natalie, our producer, writes, just to give us a kind of a guide, basically for for a conversation. We haven't touched on a single. No, I know we totally. Thing, <laughs> but but we have, we have actually, we have touched on on the essence of each of the points that we had kind of fleshed out, just in a radically different way, conversationally. And this is why I love to do, you know hosting podcasts. But there is one of those points that I do want to bring up, and I think it's relevant to this, that in this period of disruption and change, you have internal clients and they have their own biases and they, nope, this is what people use Clorox bleach for, right? <laughs> that, that's just use that example. And you do a study, it's like, well, actually they're, now they're looking at, at yeah, a different use case or a different product because their priorities have changed. What are some tips in kind of navigating that aspect of things. When you have findings that challenge maybe orthodoxy uh, within an organization on how you think about things. Yeah. So that happens like all the time, right? It does happen. And of course, but you know, it doesn't matter like whether you work in insights, finance, marketing, sales, like you really have one common objective, right? It's to drive the business growth. And it doesn't matter if you're GM, you know, you're the associate marketing manager, it's, it's still a common goal, right? So the way I kind of learned or found successful in, in kind of handling that is I start with that common goal, like of what we're all kind of trying to achieve. And then I'll look into my data and and find maybe the few, depending on the audience, right? Like if I'm talking GM, and I actually, I have an example of, 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 of this happening on Glad Waste, actually. So why don't I use that? So we it was Glad Waste, and this is in Canada. And it's basically a two-player market. We've got Glad being the key brand, and we have private label. So just that. And we were in this perpetual state of losing share to private label. It, it wasn't pretty. And we were leveraging a North American strategy at the time. But I knew that the Canadian waste landscape was different because in Canada, we have government-supported compost and recycling programs. So I hypothesized that this you know, resulted in unique consumer habits, attitudes, intentions when it came to waste management. And I could also see in the research available that Canadians were drawn to GLAD for different reasons that we were communicating. So I remember meeting, and it, it was with my GM at the time because he was a bit disgruntled with, you know, the state of the, the business and how it was doing. And so I brought him a few key slides, just few key slides with data points that diverged from current beliefs, my hypotheses on why, and then a research learning plan. But I started with our common goal, like that we wanted to disrupt, we wanted to share this, stop this continuous share loss to control label and set our brand on a path to business growth. So I started from there, few data points on the existing research, because this is the GM, you don't want to like mire him in, in data, my hypotheses and the learning plan. And I got alignment on the spot 
to move forward with the research and the budget to go with it. But it starts with that common goal. Like what, you know, it doesn't matter who you, who you're speaking to, what function, what level, what are we all trying to achieve? And then, you know, a few key data points from the research, right? That might diverge with current beliefs and then what your hypotheses are and, and a plan to go from there. And, um, I've, you know, that's successful, but you got to start with the perspective, I think, that of the common goal, like very important. Absolutely agree. And it actually, you know, I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's wisdom that applies not just in research, but in the world in general. So, you know, so I have a 27 year old daughter, uh, actually she'll be 28 on Monday from the time of recording this. Anyway, you know, with that age gap, you know, we'll have conversations and she's, she thinks if dad thinks this, I'm on the opposite end. Right. And Often the conversation, look, we, we are on the same side because we, we are united in principle on our common goal, right? We want to be good humans and do good things. And, you know, we love our family and let's start there, right? Because everything else is just a tactic. Yeah. Like in insights, you don't want to just be the purveyor of data, right? And, and insights, you want them to be act, like to drive things forward, right? And I think to be that catalyst, I think you have to have that, like what I'll call business empathy, you know, your ability to put yourself in a different role, see the like the larger objective and then and then go, okay, what from my capabilities and from what I know, can I bring to this to move it forward? And I think that's the way insights is a catalyst, right? You don't want to just sit on interesting data points. And then be passionate. <laughs> I love that, Anna. That's fantastic. Uh, and I think a great path forward as we go through this, you know, period of, of change. Because as we, the value is how do we navigate, your insight navigator, this, uh, all of these, this change to drive business value uh, across the board. And that's never going to go out of style, right? No, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love what I do. So I don't want to stop doing it. Yeah. It's very cool. I want to be uh, conscious of, of your time as well as time of our listeners. Um, so before we head into wrap up, is there something that you wanted to make sure that, that we touched on that I did not touch on? No, I think in, as you said, in a roundabout way, I think we kind of got to uh, all the meaningful elements. So yeah, no, thanks. This was a fantastic experience. So, well, that's good to know. And for other prospective guests in the future, if you're listening, right, um, it's, uh, it's, it's all good. So what's, uh, what are you looking forward to now as we head into the, the tail end of 2023 and 2024? What has you excited? I think it's what I mentioned earlier. Like I, I'm really looking forward to getting, you know, past maybe the AI, big data, like, and, and, and just get personal with the consumers and brands again. Like I'm, that's, uh, I, I see that on the horizon and I see a couple of projects like that coming up and, uh, I'm, that's what I'm looking for from a research perspective. Yeah. Very cool. And what about you as a person? A little glimpse? 
a, a glimpse. Well, um, these days I'm all about housing and renovating. Uh, we recently renovated a, an old arts and crafts bungalow. And I mean, we gutted it, added a second story, like huge, and I caught the bug. So like, that's all I seem to be consuming from a media perspective is anything housing or renovating. And um, yeah, I'm just um, looking forward to that next project as well. <laughs> Very cool. So yeah, there's a common theme there around, you know, transformation. Ah, so, look at that. <laughs> yeah, my intuition talking. So, all right. Well, very cool. Where can people find you? LinkedIn is a good spot. Okay. They could just message me through there. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. We don't get that many client side folks to uh, take time, sit down, talk. It, it's vitally important for the entire industry for everyone to, to kind of know what's what your perspective is. So thank you. And just what a pleasure getting to know you. Oh, so thank you. Likewise. Thanks so much. This has been wonderful. Have a wonderful weekend, Lenny. Thank you, Anna. You do the same. And with that, we will wrap up this episode of the Greenberg Podcast. As always, huge, huge thank you to our producer, Natalie. She makes all of this happen. I just show up and run my mouth. Our editor, Big Bad Audio, who also Make sure that all of this sounds great so you can enjoy it. And of course, thank you to our listeners because without you, Anne and I wouldn't have had the excuse necessarily to meet and chat and have this great conversation. So thank you. And that's it. We'll see you on another edition of the Greenberg Podcast soon. Bye-bye. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.